Good, we get to start with a laugh this way. Welcome Yay. to the program, Jenna Luck. <laughs> so, so good to have you here. Um, how are you? I'm doing okay. I love seeing you. We used to talk on the phone all the time, so it's like cool to see your face and I know it's fun, and that was I like like I was telling you before my my guilty pleasure with this show is not only getting to tell stories all the time, mm -hmm. but with people that I've known for some years now, like mm -hmm. I really get insight into like things that I never i you just don't ask these questions, and some of that's because of quarantine, some of that's because of the podcast, and it's just kind of a fun way to learn more about people, yeah, uh, definitely and and uh yeah, so I'm so glad to have you hope mm -hmm. you're uh excited to be here. I'm super excited. Yeah, I love I love it. I've been looking forward to it. I've been like imagining it in my head. I'm like, oh, Thursday's coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what did you imagine? What did you imagine the show to be? I had no idea. I because I didn't I knew the name. So I knew I was going to be talking about some experiences I've had. Um, but so that was actually creating some anxiety for me. But then um, Okay. You're easy to talk to, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I mean, I, I remember our first conversation and uh, I, mm -hmm. I've grilled you about this enough, but what, paint me the picture. How do you, how, how do you remember meeting me? Because I remember meeting you. Um, okay, so we went to grad school together at Goddard and um, we're just sort of thrown into a room together and I think I arrived late, so everyone I had already met and I was just this big ball of nerves and I was probably just like chatty and hyper. And I remember you just asked me, I can't even remember like how we started talking, but I think you were telling me about where you were from and your family or something. And I was like really missing my kids because it was the first time I'd been away from them really because they were really young at the time, like maybe four and six possibly maybe a little bit younger yeah, they, than were, they, so they were I think I, that sounds about right and yeah, yeah. And, and just for the people who are listening or watching this is the first time you had been away from your kids for at this point about yeah. two two hours yeah maybe, maybe <laughs> two and a half so I was um, talking to you about yeah. I think I asked you if you have kids I asked you if yes. you have kids and I yeah. wanted to connect to somebody through my yeah. kids right um, so, yeah. whereas whereas <laughs> like what I recall at Goddard and not to say that they weren't great mothers, but everyone was, or many people were very excited to have this this week um, mm -hmm. where they kind of got a little reprieve and it was like, but you know, I, I, I we had we had a good time. So yeah, um, I mean, that's a big part. I'm, I'm very much, I love kids. I love being a mom. <laughs> I love it. It's like what makes me feel the most joy. So I always want to be with them. <laughs> Well, I, well, that's amazing. And I have a feeling <laughs> that we will probably end up connecting that as we get through some of the, like your history and then growing up and then yeah. some of the trauma that then again, clearly you're getting a lot of joy just, mm -hmm. you know, with, with your kids. Cause that was one of the first things I, I knew about you. And the second thing is, you know, the evolution of how you became the dark fairy that you are today. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, so let's, let's start from, from the origins. Where is, where is Jenna originally from? What was her family like, you know? Um, I grew up in Spokane, Washington. So it's a small Eastern Washington town. It's pretty conservative. Um, my, my family was very liberal, but we grew up in a really conservative Christian environment. I'm not Christian, nor have I ever been religious. Um, I went to public schools. I have a twin brother. I have one older sister. 
Are you are you and your twin brother like are you hardcore twins? No. No. We're just siblings, you know. Like I mean, I don't know what you mean by hardcore twins, but I think you mean like I think you mean that we like have some sort of like secret language and we understand each other's we can like yeah. finish each other's sentences and whatever but no we're not like that we're very very different other than mm. that we're both like siblings and we grew up with the same family so right because like i have a vague recollection that you have a twin but mm -hmm. i feel like people who you know for instance the kid your the, your your presence with your kids is so strong that like you know, that's right there. But, you know, when some mm -hmm. people have a twin, they're like, oh yeah, I'm a twin. And, and every, you know, the twinness, yeah. the twinness is like a huge element. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so then we like growing up, you know, my interest, cause we're both writers and different types, but both writers um, is, you know, where that interest started, um, mm -hmm. you know, if it was young and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and also like, was your childhood pretty easy, pretty tough? How was mm -hmm. school? What, what, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I had a, I had a pretty wonderful childhood. I had a really supportive mother. My parents were divorced and I didn't have a great relationship with my father. He was sort of not around as much. Um, I went to public schools and I think that's probably where my first traumatic experience occurred or, or at least that I can remember. Um, beyond just, you know, my parents separating, but um, I was dyslexic and um, I didn't know and um, school, the school system didn't know. And so it was really hard for me to learn. And um, I think there's this common misperception that dyslexia is typically just reading and writing. In my case, um, it's a processing disorder. So um, it was directly related to how I processed information, how information came in and then what happened to it and then how I was able to express myself. And so as you can imagine in public school, a lot of how um, kids are taught is through listening, taking in the information, regurgitating it. And this was not possible for me. Like it, it required, you know, 10 times more work than what somebody without the disability could do. So from a very early age, I felt that I was not smart. And this was reinforced in test taking, in um, grades, in um, school performances. And also, I have a brother who's like straight A student. He's my twin uh, brother, straight A student, like <laughs> Valley Victorian of high school, you know. So I had these sort of experiences where um, I didn't know how to function. Right. So I, and I and so I think that sort of set me up for having this really unhealthy relationship with my emotions because how, it wasn't how so um so i think because nobody was able to really understand that there was a problem or that i had an issue with with learning and processing mm -hmm. i was placed constantly every single day into situations that were not only uncomfortable but were like caused me a ton of anxiety like having like 
a lot of, so it was really impossible for me to absorb any sort of information while I was in school. And so I began thinking poorly about who I was as a person and who I was um, at my ability academically became my, um, how I related to myself internally. Mm -hmm. I very much internalized all of the test scores, all of the, you know, negative remarks from teachers. It all became my reality and how I thought of who I was. And nobody understood this and nobody talked about it. And, there was no and, conversation. So Okay. And yeah, well that's that's really, really hard, especially like starting at a young age from you know being conditioned that way. Um my I, I'm curious, was there an area either in school or out of school, athletically or whatever, mm -hmm. that you found like some reprieve? Like did you have yes. some good friends? You know, like what mm -hmm. yeah, what was the yeah, because that sounds like a lot of negative thinking. You're not, yeah. I, I know now, and, and it makes sense, you know. Um, I know you're not a negative person. You're, you're a pretty mm -hmm. pragmatic person from, from what I know. Yeah. And, um, and curious, what, what was the balance of that like growing up as a kid, if there wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, one, I learned, I did learn how to compensate and I did okay in school at some points, you know, nice. like, um, I was never really able to do math very well because understanding formulas and generating, uh, you know, regurgitating information that in, in like a mathematical way didn't, wasn't really how my brain worked, but I was also always creative and I could, you know, I grew up in a family that really valued art and creativity mm -hmm. and expressing yourself through art. And so, although I was not, immediately drawn to that I was actually a very physical kid and so where I shone I where I was shining as a kid was through my physicality and that became a really um that became a really important uh uh element of my of yeah. my childhood was sports and so and that's where I got most of the positive reinforcement through co coaches and um Nice. What teammates. sports? Um, I played volleyball. So oh, like, nice. yeah. yeah. So we played, I played volleyball from the time, well, I played softball and basketball and all of those sports. And I'm, I'm not your typical jock. Like I'm probably far from that, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like I am actually very competitive and I'm also very physical and just have a natural ability in sports. Yeah. And so um, I had, I had coaches like wanting me to be on their team and I, and I had people being very con like relying on me and it felt nice. Yeah. So that, I think that's where I gained a lot of confidence and support from a community of people and, and friends. Um, and then I got really heavily into playing volleyball and I had a good group of friends. Yeah, you're so built, you're built like a volleyball player. Yeah. <laughs> um, we could we could use you down here in LA for when we start playing again with these old Jewish guys um, yeah. on Sundays well, on, I, on the sand. Well, it's on the sand, so you don't get hurt if you fall. It's really yeah. Nice. So yeah, I love. I haven't played volleyball forever, but it's okay. We're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, cool. So all right, so so you've got kind of two two balances in mm -hmm. in your world, and then and it seems like maybe one or just your own personal desire was kind of keeping you well. Did, did you sort of have a moment where you decided not to let this dyslexia or this 
processing issue get in your way? Like, was there, was there like mm -hmm. a change or, 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 was um, it, or were you just that way? You so I didn't actually know I had dyslexia until my son was diagnosed and he's 15. Wow. And then he started having <laughs> all the similar issues that I had in school and he got tested and had three different types of dyslexia. So I've actually never been tested, but because, right. Because he has it and his experience is so similar to mine, I, I can be almost positive that I have it. My dad's dyslexic, my sister's dyslexic. Okay. So we all, right. <laughs> so I don't know why right. no one tests, I don't know why people were like, oh, you're dyslexic too, but yeah, it just didn't occur to people yeah. or something. So I actually was tested in high school and the, I think I had learned to compensate so well that once I did take a, a test to, I don't know, it's some sort of IQ test, I don't even know, it's like, shapes and stuff and anyway i they couldn't determine what type of uh, disability i had but they did say i had a disability but they didn't know what it was and to me at that time i was like oh that just means i'm stupid they don't want to <laughs> say that i'm stupid wow. yeah, so they're telling me okay you have a learning disability but we don't know what to call it. So I'm just like, oh, you just don't want to say I'm stupid. So that what, became what, my reality. So I just what, wanted to shut down the disability thing and be like, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna manage my life as if I don't have it. And that became a, oh, a way okay. for me. You, yeah. So you, because it, what I also noticed earlier is that you said I was dyslexic, not I am dyslexic. Oh, I am. No, I am. Yeah. No, uh, it doesn't okay. go away. <laughs> well, no, but, but to me, even the fact that you kind of formulated it that way was, yeah. was at least like, it's like, it's well, almost it like it, it affected you. Yeah. It probably does affect you, Yeah. but you never really let it also prevent you from achieving no. I think the things that, that like you set out specifically with writing, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, yeah. And I do, man, kind of knowing a little bit that I know about your life, um, mm -hmm. as I zoom out as, as a writer myself, and I think about the kind of like insane dramatic irony that exists in, in our setup of, of where both of these sort of traumas lie, you know, mm -hmm. both, physic both physically and then, you know, yeah. writing, writing related is, mm -hmm. well, if God, if God or whatever, the, the force of nature doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, uh, I know. That's it. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm so, I am a very pragmatic person and I'm also sort of a realist. So I'm just like, no, yeah. that, that shit's not, or whatever. You know, I don't know if you're, I can swear on this. Uh, at this, video, at this point, like, at this point we've had, <laughs> it's, it's there, there, there's been episodes that there's, yeah. there's no return. It's all good. Yeah. So I don't, I do definitely feel like it's, it's completely ironic and um i can trace it back and try to understand why things happened the way that they did and i have multiple multiple times and but there's no everything was so long ago it's hard to really determine why things are why they are you know <laughs> so. i have i have a i mean i have kind of an obnoxious theory on that um mm -hmm. well again what i would call a pragmatic formula for it which is just like it's almost impossible to really know why something happened to you, especially yeah. if it's like a force of like, if you didn't drink some sort of a poison or some sort of a mutation device that, that, you know, caused something and it mm -hmm. just happened to you, um, then trying to figure out why or who or how is like, in most cases, I find like going to lead you down a path that's like probably more destructive than constructive. Yeah. Than, like, when when the real question is okay this did happen and this mm -hmm. does hurt or this does suck or this does mm -hmm. challenge things 
but then mm -hmm. it's like, what am I going to do? You know? Yeah. Like, and I think that's important. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess for me, I, I, I really did need both. I needed to have the cathartic experiences of mm -hmm. being able to go back to my past and really deconstruct it and understand um, and be heard. And then also right. being able to um, understand that, that that is the past. And now I have to create and reconstruct present and then the future and so then um, with with a foot in the past I can then pull forward into a newer better place <laughs> so. yeah no I mean yes I, I I agree with that I think that's a good that's a good like um, amendment because and I, I I think you need to use what happened to mm -hmm. to bring you forward because I, yeah. I think that the pain that you feel which is real um, needs to be channeled you know and and especially as creative person or whatever like it, it can or or as a person who cares about doing good things or whatever like that pain exists because something was really important or good to you if you didn't yeah. care if you didn't care about this mm -hmm. thing you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't be upset so if you care about yeah. it it means it's important so if it's mm -hmm. important the fact that you're no longer able to do it the same way more often than not means you need to then understand like, well, well then what, you know, mm -hmm. what is this coming to, what is this going to come do for me? I don't know. That's otherwise, yeah. man, I get, I get dizzy trying to figure some things out because I, I am a, I'm an overthinker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, I, I, a little side note. My husband's yeah. like, I don't know yeah. exactly. He seems, he seems like a, a go doer type. I can't remember exactly what he said, but like a hustler. That's what he said. He's a he's a hustler. He is kind of hustler. Yeah. Well, and this, I mean, and this was a response to like I I personally was getting just upset with the fact that it felt like, you know, at first we had an opportunity with quarantine and, and all this to to actually see each other as human beings mm -hmm. and and maybe dissolve some of the things that have been historically and presently dividing us. Mm -hmm. And they're not all, you know, and it was like, the only thing I could really think about doing that I'm actually good at is telling stories um, beyond teaching and, and all that. And, um, mm -hmm. but I don't want it to be about the things that divide us right now, because we have so much yeah. of that. And, and like the more, again, I talk to people of all types and all backgrounds, it's like, it's just amazing. Like we, you know, we, we really are, you know, we, we can come up with the same ideas and, and the same feelings and, and we need to like do more of that and it's the one thing I can do. So you can call it a hustle, but it's just, yeah. you know, I, I like to do things when I feel like this crazy urge. So yeah, no, um, I agree with you, Zach. I do think we need to bring people together during this time. I think that's ultimately anybody who's gone through trauma knows that the way to feel whole again, to have peace with, with the trauma that you've had is to have relationships and connections hmm, that are yeah. positive. I, I agree. I think that yeah. that like having positive networking aspects, like not just for work, you know, but for actual mm -hmm. life. And, and is, you know, now I feel like so many people are having to be at home and deal with this trauma of COVID or, you know, yeah. the Black Lives Matter or whatever it is alone because they're at home and they don't have that um they don't have that social engagement and then they have to uh deal with their inner demons or whatever alone in their house and that's not always 
the best. Yeah, that's that's yeah that that's yeah. my one of my concerns. Been you know is like the ripple effects of how this is. You know, you've got kids. I teach kids, and it's like where is this going to all lead long term? Because we really need to be with people, you know, and and because otherwise we start to forget who we are, you know, more and more. And um, yes, yeah. um, But anyway, so now that's that's a good segue for you know for for part two of of this. So we've got, you know, you 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 found ways to overcome by by a little bit of dissociation, but. Yeah, I would consider a lot of it, but I, but I would consider it, I guess, but okay, I guess I was trying to underplay it because I didn't want the stigma of it to be like a negative. I don't think what you did was a negative thing. I think, mm-hmm. you know, because it wasn't destructive. Some people dissociate and then use that as a, as a way well, to. Okay. I, I, oh. may, I do agree, but I do think it was destructive for me because um, I also, at the same time when I was, disassociating from my learning issues in school, I began coping with that through exercise and monitoring my eating. And so an eating disorder developed. So it always, if you can find a good coping mechanism along with, you know, being able to plow forward, then that's helpful. But my coping mechanism became destructive. Okay. So, okay. So, right. So that's, yeah. And I think that's, probably common um, because I think there's a lot of trial and error in trying to figure this stuff out. Um, if there isn't, it wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. all make mistakes. Um, we'd like, oh, that was a mistake. I better better get out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've, we don't even realize, I think, how conditioned we are sometimes um, in our own thoughts or feelings. And it's hard, especially when you're young. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then I, I guess like, you know, in addition to your love for kids, the other thing that, that stood out to me immediately um, was, uh, and, and your writing was, was quite bold when I remember like, mm-hmm. versus your, your, your physical human voice can be quite soft. Yeah. And then, and then when you read it, it's it sort of like, like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> and which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but beyond that was, you know, another sort of physical ailment outlier, which mm-hmm. was, that you had Lyme's disease. Well, actually, you know, I, I, I have to say that I haven't really, we haven't been able to figure out if it's Lyme. So we definitely know I have chronic fatigue. So I'm what not- is with, What is yeah. with you in, in undiagnosable- uh, Yeah, I know. You know? So I, I do feel like that's like the story of my life. We can't figure out what's wrong with you. Yeah. And, and interesting. So, okay. So when, well, when did that, ha- when I guess did that, moment where when did the life shift where that occurred okay so um um, i had an eating disorder from the time i was 16 until um in my like 30 or so and i um but when i was about 26 i uh was started experiencing some strange physical ailments and then a crashing fatigue that lasted for months and months um Hmm. I went to all different doctors. I was really young. I was sort of in my prime and I ended up recovering after six months. But because of that, I guess in, in, um, in comparison to other people's experience, that was sort of a fast recovery. I didn't actually deal with the issues in, that had created that experience for me or that um, illness for me. And so, uh, at 30, after my second baby was born, I think maybe 30, I think, um, I had another major 
collapse, I call it, because there's like really no other way to say it. I was um, home alone with my one-year-old and all of a sudden I couldn't feel my hands and my arms all the way up to my elbows. And then um, I couldn't stand up without feeling, I I, I now know that I was having a panic attack for some reason. It was just, and I, and I felt like my heart was just like going to be like exploding out of my chest and I couldn't really move. Mm. And somehow I made it upstairs and I called 911 because I thought I was dying. Jeez. And so then they came and uh, I, by the time they got here, I, I, I had recovered from this panic attack I was having. And they're like, oh, you're fine. Call your husband, have him come home and, you know, go to the doctor tomorrow and stuff like that. And then, so that sort of set me on the path of like, okay, your body's your body isn't functioning well. I hadn't been sleeping. I had a one-year-old. I had a Mm -hmm. uh, three-year-old too. So um, that's where uh, chronic fatigue really, really came and hit me in like a ton of bricks. So yeah, so your body was, your body was just very like deteriorated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And And then I just, and I do, I did have this deterioration of, of the physical appearance as well. I lost like 15 pounds and I wasn't actually engaging in uh, so much of an eating disorder at that point because um, I was eating well and eating more, but I just couldn't put on weight. I was just getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And um, yeah, so. Yeah. So my, my brother who, who has Crohn's, um, he, I think he, I think he dramatically lost weight as well, like in high mm-hmm. school. Um, and I think that's sort of what, what tipped it off. Um, mm-hmm. But interesting. Um, and so curious to know, um, when, when you talk about the eating disorder, is it, was it like that you weren't eating at all pretty mm-hmm. much, or is that you were eating and, and spelling or I was more anorexic, so I wouldn't eat at all. And then I would exercise a lot. Wow. So I would like go running, go on the walks. Um, What what does not eating at all entail? Because I know um, so it would be like I would have a couple bites of like a of like a cinnamon roll for breakfast, (laughs) and then maybe I would eat like a couple bites of like. I would I'd sometimes have like a peach or there was like safe foods that I could have. And, um, you know, it was just a, a constant thing. I thought about it from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed, what, how, what my body felt like, if I felt fat, what I was going to eat, when I was going to exercise, if I couldn't exercise, it was a really anxiety ridden thing for me. I, I would have, uh, just, bad thoughts about myself that I was going to be fat. I I know it's all untrue, but in my mind, I thought I would just instantly become this fat slob if I didn't exercise. (laughs) Right. And and was there, was there kind of a moment where you were like about to eat something and then you were like, no, I'm not going to do this. You know, Um, it was more that I, I would, this, this overwhelming sense of shame would come and it's not, it's not like I had that much control over my, my, um, my actions, but what, what really was apparent is that there was just uh, a constant a voice in my head telling me that 
I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. So that was right. sort of where that was just sort of like this little demon on my short, shoulder or whatever, 24 seven, you know, from the moment I woke up until I went to bed, it was there. It is, it is extremely sad that for whatever reason, you know, like just teenage girls like have this, have this like, you know, burden to carry on themselves when it comes to body image or just bodies mm -hmm. in general that like just seems to be, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a sad, it's just a sad thing. Cause like the mm -hmm. amount of people I know who have gone through similar type things, not, but you know, yours may have been triggered more because you felt really inadequate and, you know, in, in the classroom mm -hmm. or whatever, but yeah. you know, like that was sort of giving you the negative thoughts, but mm -hmm. for some people it's like, it's just out of the blue and it, and it, and not some like many, you know, and it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. Sad. I really think, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I believe that a lot of, why we as women have issues with our bodies is because in the media we are portrayed as young and beautiful and skinny and that is what is modeled right um yeah so oh, i yeah, have no. imagery is imagery yeah. is a huge thing and and plus it's very uh, and and the, well women's worth comes a lot from her beauty in in our society so who do we who do we respect in, in in our society? It's the movie stars. It's yeah. not the you know intelligent, um, career driven women in our culture that are there. It's the beautiful, you know, blonde, blue eyed movie stars or whatever you know. So yeah, I think yeah. I mean, I agree, and I think it's I think it's slowly shifting a little bit, or at least there's like mm -hmm. a, a very intentional drive to shift, but yeah, it's, it, it takes a long, I mean, it's taking a long time to shake off the shackles of a lot of old residual cultural, you know. Yeah, and I think norms. even being, you know, I think this, I, I think being a vivid emotional person, it's really hard to not internalize yeah. what we see in our culture. And mm -hmm. that was my experience because my sister is very similar to me and had the same upbringing, upbringing same yeah. experience in school and she didn't internalize it and she could sort of move on and be like oh it doesn't matter that i failed that test or whatever like right yeah <laughs> so like well, there's yeah, no, a personality that yeah. is really geared toward falling down these dark and deep you know tunnels where it's hard to pull yourself back up and i think that personality is one of extreme sensitivity and um you know uh, this feeling that you're you can't express yourself yeah and so okay so so when you kind of going back to to your literal collapse um was there other than like your physical fatigue at that point was there like uh another mental or stress mm -hmm. anxiety related thing that you had maybe been simmering on um because like you said you'd sort of been healthier at that point mm -hmm. um you've got your second kid i think um, yeah well then, i think that was the stress and anxiety the stress and anxiety of just being a new mom i think sort of tipped me over into this into the like, so what, what are some of those thoughts like I'm, I'm not a mom you know like mm -hmm. like what 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 do they feel like? 
Or what did they feel um, like? For me, at least, it's just, I mean, you you know how much I love my kids. And every mm -hmm. mom, I, every parent does. I think I was, I think also part of my personality is when I do have uh, a desire to do something, I'm like 110% into that thing. And it was my kids. And so um, everything I did, every thought I had, you know, I, I, I have, a, I was obsessive about them. And so that ended up not being a healthy thing hmm. completely. I mean, the love that they received was, was healthy, but like right. the obsessiveness of like monitoring them and like, I would lay with my son every night. He didn't sleep for the first three years by himself. And I, you know, I, I breastfed him till he was three. I think all those things are good things, but it was really taxing on my body. Like I could have taken a break. Right. Mm. But like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those um, weren't things that I allowed myself. I didn't allow myself breaks. Right. And that was he just, didn't have family in town or anybody who could help. And that like obsessiveness, what, like, what was the worry if, I mean, I guess it probably wasn't even a thought in your mind. Mm. Of, well, if I just, if I just go and go out and do, do something tonight, like, like, what was your concern? Like, was there a concern there? Or was just your, your mode was just to be that way? Like almost. My mode is to, to be yeah. that way. I'm obsessive. I'm obsessive. Right. Like I was in my eating disorder. I was obsessive yeah. about exercise. I'm obsessive about the work I do now. I'm obsessive. I just have that mentality that like, once it's sort of in my head, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, it's turning the gears. I'm just thinking about it all the time. So, and, and okay. And so then, so then, but, but interestingly enough, you, well, I guess we sort of found like the caveat to that was, you know, the way you sort of overcome the, the, the learning disability was to actually not obsess over it. Or to like yeah. count was was to yeah. count well you counter obsessed I guess I was um, stubborn about it I was like yeah. I'm not gonna let it anything right. stop me right right you did so, yeah you did like an anti an anti obsession yeah so then, I, well I think you said it more I dissociated from myself right. yeah I wanted to be someone different I wanted to be someone different than who I was yeah so that's why I really respected and admired the literary community and I I wanted to do that even though I knew that I wasn't good at it. Ah, okay. Well, that I guess that does make sense. Um, yeah. You know, it's the the Clark Kent to Superman type of mentality. Um, yeah, it's sort of the underdog. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> which, which is which is why people love it. Um, um, so, well, we could talk about the writing. I wanted to. Oh, yeah. Um, how b before we get into the writing, I guess with your obsessive based compulsions, um, mm -hmm. you, you now have this sort of chronic fatigue thing thrust mm -hmm. at you and, yeah. um, and it's, it's a little bit nebulous and a little bit confusing and, and, and definitely not the happiest thing. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. You know, like, how did you process um, that? So that took years. I mean, I've had chronic fatigue for, since I was 26 and mm -hmm. ongoing since I was 30 and I'm 43 now. So it took years and it wasn't something that just appeared one day and I was like, 
oh, I get it now. Like I know how to deal with this physical limitation. It's a constant day to day um, reckoning with myself. I have to be able to say to myself, I have to change my thinking basically. And so changing your thinking doesn't come. If you've been thinking one way for so long, changing that is, is extremely difficult. And so every single day I have to, what's been helpful for me is to find like simple things I can say to myself, like, that's not true. Those thoughts aren't true. And that's what helps me because if I wake up and I think I'm fat or I think I'm stupid or I think I'm um, something, I can then counter that with that's my anxiety talking or that's, that's not the truth. And it, I, it helped me to have these very simple, quick little phrases to say to myself when I was... Um, Again, like a karate no. chop on that. Yeah. Yeah. So analyzing it to death was not helpful for me. So yeah. having, yeah. I, I remember at a point where I was like feeling extreme anxiety. Also, I, I've always been a bad sleeper because I think I've had similar type mindsets as maybe a lot of crazy creative type people have, which is mm -hmm. you always have like something on your mind that's that's burning. So the second you wake up, you're you're up, you know, and um mm -hmm. and and this that she was like a sleep doctor she she told me about you know mindfulness which of course i had like heard of at this point i was an mm -hmm. adult but um but i never really read or or looked into it and so i read you know even just one chapter from one of the guys who's, who's big in it john cabot zinn and it it was kind of talking in a similar way of, of what you're saying which is being aware that you're having these thoughts yeah but then not necessarily immediately attaching the emotional interpretation or the emotional like you know extremes that can come from the potential of these thoughts you know and i'm mm -hmm. i honestly suffer with it a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's a difficult thing for me to deal with but but yeah. it is something to be aware of and it and it's um and it, it seems like like what you're talking about which i think is cool mm -hmm. um so you managed to do that. And then, so when did you start, when did you start the writing part? Well, I got my MFA. Well, okay. So uh, let me yeah, start. Okay. I, I did go to undergrad and got my degree in literature and creative writing. And I was actually really bad at creative writing. I'm, I just was bad at it because I didn't read and I was like, <laughs> there. I didn't right. have a real talent for it, but I loved it. And then... Um, but what did you love about it? Like, why, why emotion, did you get a degree? The emotion of it. I mean, and, and also, so I grew up, my family, my family is a very literary family. Like my father, my grandfather, I grew up with my grandfather and my grandmother and my mom mostly. And they were reading all the time. My grandfather for my 19th birthday gave me a collection of the great books. And like, I, I read, I started reading just a lot then. And I was always sort of an introvert. And so it just sort of, it, 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 I, had, I had grown up, my grandfather used to teach me how to write poems when I was like okay. six or seven. And like, we would like, reach he helped me memorize Shakespeare and stuff like he was like he wasn't like your typical like oh um let's play a game of you know hide and seek or whatever he's like let's right. go down to my office and <laughs> yeah I'm plugging in my computer he, he's like okay. let's go down to my office and like 
read some poems or like do you know about this art concept you know like he was like (laughs) (laughs) and so and he would talk to me about things that were like way more advanced than ever I could ever he like taught my sister French and he was a really cool guy yeah and 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 then so that was my I I felt like it was he was the most amazing person in the world and I if I could at all model him in any way that would be that would be um I would be successful as a human being and he would tell me you know like I think you're like the special one Jenna like out of your brother and sister like you're the one who's gonna you know be something and make something and he loved that I like I was sensitive and emotional and like that I liked that's, art yeah, that's, so, that's amazing. so that's why I like glommed onto that like okay that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> right it's it's also always interesting like there's there's almost always someone or something that comes up where it like gives you that reminder that gives you that model or that mentor person. Yeah. And my mom was that person too. She's yeah. an artist and she would be like, do wow. what your, I, her, her, her thing was always do what your heart desires. Yeah. You're the context now makes so much sense of, of now, now that I know you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, they they sound they sound great. Okay, so so you pursued that you um, and yeah, I mean, I, again, I've known you to sort of go up and down with your mm-hmm. with your we'll call it diagnosis. But I've also yeah. always every time we speak, you you've been very positive, and 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 so mm-hmm. what I what I like to focus on is and you you've mentioned it somewhat, but how do you use your writing and what you're doing now to kind of reinforce those those things and and is there like a you know a bigger takeaway that you have for the uh for the mm-hmm. folks listening so i think i i use writing or creating art in any way as a way to express myself and for me that's key i mean i really being that emotional and sensitive person that i am i have to have that outlet if i don't i i can't function as well in the world and so writing seemed natural um I recently have gotten into painting and I really love doing that too and and so um all of those things give me a a a sense of my inner personal emotional world um which is a really big part of who I am and um I hadn't had a place in the world to sort of represent that. And so now that I have that feels like this amazingly huge weight is off of my shoulders. Like I can be who I am. I can be, you know, the emotional sensitive person that I didn't feel was worthy. And then I can be in the world as an artist. Like that was what gave me, I hate the word purpose, but like, it gave me a sense that I was going to be okay because before then there was not this sense that I would ever be okay. I just thought I would always be sick. Always. I was sure there was no doubt in my mind. I would always be sick. So the, the writing and the art give me that way to sort of um, not be in that sick place. Wow. And, and then and to me, like an important thing that I always like to at least ask about is, 
now that you've gone through it, you've, you've, you've found ways to cope and, and, uh, for yourself, is there, is there for you as either an artist or just a human being, um, a way that you then bring that to others, um, as well, you know, like, cause to me, I, I find one of the best ways to deal with my own crap in life is by trying to help other people whenever I can in some way, mm -hmm. so you know, teaching helps and even, yes. You know, okay. Um, so yeah, teaching for me as well. I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach young kids. I teach mainly just first, second, third grade. Wow. Um, I love being around kids. I love little kids, especially. So in that sense, yes, that, that's where I bring, that's where I feel like I, I am helping, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but like, as far as helping people with my art, I'm still really shy about my art. Like I'm still really like, oh, I don't know if I want to be in the world with my art yet. Like if mm. I'm making it, I, I love sharing. I like being able to, um, be with other artists, but I'm not, I haven't reached a point. I think COVID made it even harder because my book came out right when COVID came. And so all the events that I had planned for myself were canceled. And I was like, oh, phew, I don't have to do anything. Okay. I was <laughs> not doing anything. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. So well, you, you brought up a, a good segue because, you know, we're mm -hmm. always, we're always doing a little uh, shout outs for sponsorship, you know, whether it's for merch yeah. Or for art, our mm -hmm. good friend David Babani, who uh, who painted that, we can always feature any artist's art in the background, whether you want to sell it or just have your oh, name nice. out there. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a big wall here and the big wall in our podcast studio that we that we also do our local ones in. So if you want to feature your art, radically mm -hmm. triumphant is the place to do it. Um, yeah. Well, great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us, um, Jenna. It was awesome mm -hmm. to talk to you. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I've, I've always found your ability to like be both positive and real um, through like every stage of life and, and be very, you know, open to ideas and, and, uh, and people um, yeah. is just a, is, a, is a difficult thing to do in general. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're also, I think, going through your own like physical ailments every day and you're literally mm -hmm. tired, more tired than the average person every day. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing. And, you know, I hope that people uh, take something from it. The last thing I say is if there is like a, um, oh yeah. Um, I like to kind of promote two things at the end. One is, um, one is, you know, what you're working on. So I know that you do have a book. Mm -hmm. um, and then if there's like a cause or a charity or a nonprofit that is important to you, um, mm -hmm. you know, we'll put a link for the, for each episode for each guest like sort of uh you know thing so tell us a little bit about your you know your current work you can mm -hmm. you can promote yourself it's the internet yeah and then, um and then you know if there's something that you feel passionate that we should be supporting mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do it um so my book is a book of poems called everything has been asking for mercy and it's about what everything i've been talking about today <laughs> and um so it's published by Finishing Line Press. Um, and then as far as uh, organization that- Where, where is it available online? Oh, it's available on their website or you can um, contact uh, me directly. I have 
a whole bunch of copies that I have. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll put links. We'll put some, we'll put the direct links or whatever. We'll, we'll figure okay. it out. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, excellent. And, um, and I don't, I can't think of a specific uh, cause that I'm uh, particularly tied to. Um, it doesn't have to be the yeah. thing you're, you're dying for, but if there's one that you think might be worth it, or you can, we'll, we'll talk offline and, and we'll put a link to it either way. Yeah, I mean, it would probably be with education since I'm a teacher and I just need to, I don't know exactly okay. where I would want that to go, but yeah. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll find a good one. Okay. Um, all right, well then, thanks again for joining us, Jenna. Another great episode of Traumatically Triumphant. If you want to sponsor us, put us back in the Pink Cloud Studios, even for our remote episodes, we'll be happy to take, uh, we'll be happy to take it. And if you want to put your art up there, put your art, if you've got a great story, Go on to traumaticallytriumphant.com and reach out to us. Thank you, Jenna. Mm -hmm. Talk to you later. <laughs>